Amen to that. Much to be thankful for, do we not? And uh, happy Thanksgiving if I don't get to see you individually, which I probably won't. Uh, I'll just tell you thank you uh, for being a great church, and we hope you have a great week with your family. Uh, and eat, I don't know what, three or 4,000 calories on, yeah, or thereabouts. How many are actually cooking this meal? Interesting. How many are not? Wow. You've been delivered. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, anyway, whatever you're doing, uh, enjoy it with the family. Uh, what book are we studying? For the rest of your lives, we are uh, Romans chapter 1. Uh, we're in verses 8 to 15, if you'd like to turn there. That's where we're going to be this morning. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 15. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for the fact that you sent your son to be our savior, and that gave us many wonderful things. Uh, one of the great opportunities is to approach your throne uh, through prayer. Uh, and you gave us access into your presence to speak with you personally. And there's no greater thing that a man or a woman could have than access with their creator on a moment-by-moment basis. And we thank you for Jesus that secured that. Uh, might we use it in a powerful way as we see, as we learn from Paul's life, what it means to have a powerful prayer life. To let us take his principles that are recorded in his opening words to the Romans and use them uh, to accomplish much before you call us home. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, I don't know. Two months ago or so, uh, one of our parishioners who is here this morning uh, has a Porsche. I will not identify him, but he knows who he is. He has a Porsche. That's a black Porsche. Uh, and we, I usually get home around 1.30 because church ends at noon, thereabouts, and I end up talking to sheep and you know answering questions and doing, doing what I do. And so I, I'm usually here when no one else is here, and I'm the last to leave, and it's just the way it is when you're a pastor. And so they were hanging out with us, this couple, and they said, hey, you want to go to lunch? There's no one else? And he said, sure. So Liz and I decided we'd go with them. So we walked out of the parking lot, and uh, there was my uh, Volvo XC90, four-wheel drive SUV, Liz's, Liz's car. It says missing California on the license plate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, San Diego. She's from San Diego. Uh, and then he has his little Porsche. So he said, hey, would you want to drive my car? And I'm like... I've, I've never driven a Porsche before. That's got to be God's will for my life, you know? I mean, <laughs> and, and so um, so the ladies, you know, jumped in that car, and they took off for Cafe Rio. You know where that is, down there on Brick Center Parkway. And so, you know, we got into the car, and I sat down. I'm like, oh, it's a stick shift. Uh, this, this could be a problem. Uh, uh, and, he, and he said, well, what, you know, is that an issue? And I go, well, I haven't driven a stick in like 25 years maybe. And I learned on a Datsun B210, the ultimate sports car. Uh, <laughs> It was my dad's work car when he was a federal agent. So um, I said, it's been a long time since I've driven a stick shift. And he goes, ah, yeah, it'll come back to you. So the ladies had already taken off, and there I was in the parking lot, you know, sitting in this, this Porsche. And so it's part of my sermon, by the way, in case you're wondering what I'm talking about. Um, so, so, yeah, I got suited up, started the car and everything, and fiddled around with the gears, see how tight it was, and you know, found the clutch and everything. And that was the, that clutch went the farthest forward, I told him, than any car I've ever had. The Datsun B210 is super tight. The Porsche was like I was going to shove it just out the car. Uh, and, you know, so we got all of the custom, and I was sputtering along in the parking lot. No one was here, so no one was in danger. So, um, so eventually, uh, we turned out here, you know, and there was no police here either. They had gone as well. That was fortunate for me. And turned <laughs> turned left and headed toward that little Spring Lake road that cuts you over to Burke Lake Road. And uh, so I'm going downhill, and I'm thinking, okay, i got to stop this thing somehow. I guess I was in, like, first gear, uh, and it was just fast enough for me. It, was, it sounded like I was flying. Uh, and then I turned the corner on the Spring Lake and was going through that neighborhood. And he's like, uh, you know, you, you need to, like, like drive it, like, faster. Like, there's more to this car than what you're doing. I'm like, 
I am going fast. And he's like, you're not going fast. So we had this argument with the top down, you know, about how fast I was going or wasn't going. You know, don't argue with your pastor if he wants to go slow. I mean, he's like, you just, you got to, you got to learn just this car's got more to it than what you possibly think. And so we're having this argument. So we get down to the stop sign on Berkeley Center, or Berkeley Road. And he goes, you when you turn out in the traffic, you know, just, just go, you know. And I thought I was going. So I turned the corner, first gear, second gear. And in second gear, we're flying. In my estimation. And, uh, he looks at me and goes, uh, you have to, you have to punch it. I'm like, it's punched. He goes, you're not, you're not punching it. I go, I'm punching it. He goes, no, you have to really, like, really punch it. So I, so I, I thought I had pushed the gas pedal down all the way. I had not. So I did. Have you ever seen Jesus? Like, <laughs> it was, it was really quite awesome. Um, it was a spiritual experience. I definitely, and there's a stoplight there, <laughs> and I had to hang a left there. Uh, it was, it was like uh, we were flying, and I was in shock. Have you ever pulled G's in a car? A lot of you are pilots, fly military aircraft and stuff. It felt like I was pulling G's because my whole midsection, I could feel it being pushed back toward my spine into the seat. That's how fast we were going. <sighs> what has that got to do with my sermon? Everything, everything. What's that got to do with anything? It's, it's got everything to do with prayer. <laughs> it does. Serious. Porsche, prayer, totally spiritual experience. And you're telling your wife, now I know I bought that car. Um, that car had more to give than, than what I thought it had. That's like prayer. It's got more to give than you think it. You see what I'm saying? Oh, now it's convicting. You know? Yeah, yeah, I wanted and I felt like I needed to change jobs. I didn't know. So I just, I went to the throne of God once. He never answered. He's omniscient. I figured he knows. Why bother him? You know, he never answered. You know, I never went back. Never heard from him. Really? I mean, that's like having a Porsche and you don't push it and punch it all the way. All that power is available to you. I mean, powerful prayer doesn't, it's not accessed like that. You, you realize that? It's not just like show up just one time type thing. As we see from the life of Paul, he knew how to spiritually drive. I mean, not in first or second gear. I mean, he's like in all the gears, going for all the spiritual speed he can because he realized prayer is powerful, but there's a way to access powerful prayer. That's what he does in the first uh, opening verses here. He's study his words here. He's not really talking about powerful prayer for, per se, but you can see that that is what he's talking about uh, if you're paying attention to what he's sharing with the Romans. So do you want to have a spiritual prayer life that's more like driving a Datsun B210? How many even remember dots and b210s <laughs> yeah you're over 45 50 yeah yeah was that not the ultimate sports car man not really yeah i going on a date with those i'm like dad i really gotta put her in this i mean are you serious you know paul's like hey i'm not a dots and b210 guy I'm, I'm a spiritual porsche kind of guy because i realized that this this thing called prayer has a total a lot of power to it how do you access the power well let's look at the points how do you have a, pow- a powerful prayer life that's the question of the day from the verses at hand number one Gear one, what do you need to do? Well, your, your prayer life should be what? Pointed. Not just aimless. It should be pointed. Notice what he says in verse 8. Let's look at verse 8. Read it with me. He says, first, I thank God through my Jesus Christ for you all. Why? Well, because your faith is being proclaimed where? You know, throughout the entire world. The whole world. Now, when somebody says first, since we're a systematic, rhetorical, kind of logical church full of attorneys... Who knew how to reason? They're not saying that they are, but they are. Um, when you hear first, what are you anticipating? There's more to come. Just second. 
My first point is, my, my second point is, and my third point is, etc. So Paul's going to say, you know, first of all, I'm going to talk about uh, my prayer life for you Romans. And the first thing that I want to say is, he, you can read the rest of the passage. He never says second. Never. You're kidding me. Like, I mean, how'd that happen? Because prayer sometimes is an emotional thing, isn't it? That you get lost in it, and you get so lost in what you're saying, you forget point two. Has that ever happened to you? Are you extremely, you got a spreadsheet for Jesus when you're talking to him. We're on item three, A. Now, no, he, Paul says, yeah, first I'd like to say, when I think about you Romans, I, I thank God for you. He never comes back to that because he's so excited about his first point. His first point is prayer should be pointed. I thank my God, personal God, that he has a relationship with now, through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is so interesting. Are verbs important in the New Testament? Absolutely they are. Why? Because they're inspired. So why did God pick that word? Why did God pick that tense? I mean, why? That's all important. Why God did that? Because every word, every jot and tittle, the smallest little stroke of the pen, the smallest Hebrew letter, the yod, all those things, they're all important because God inspired all of them. So Paul says, I, speaking by way of inspiration, thank, present tense, active, not passive. It's an active tense, means when I think about it, I do the thanking. I don't, I don't assign it to Timothy or somebody else. When I do thanking for you, Romans, it's a thing that I'm committed to. You have to kind of ask yourself, what kind of person are you? We'll give you two options because you're one or the other. Glasses have empty. Glasses have full. Oh, which are you? You're all quiet now. What was Paul? Half empty, half full. Half full, half full. Uh, he, he's, he's a half full kind of guy. He's a positive kind of guy. If you're sitting there thinking, uh, well, there's not a whole lot of thanks in my prayers, you know, because my spiritual gift is criticism, uh, analysis, uh, harsh realities, Helping people grow up in Jesus because, uh, mm, mm. is, as, uh, is negativity and criticism a spiritual gift? What says this slide? They're so quiet. Uh, no, 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 it's not a spiritual gift. What was Paul, Paul's spiritual gift? One of them was he was an encourager. And he encouraged people through things that he said, and he encourages them when he talks to them. So he says the first thing in prayer is it should be thankful. On a perpetual nature. Because he says, I thank God. It is a present tense. Now, it, it is most interesting. There, you have two options because some of our students are going to Dallas Seminary and taking Greek. So we have to educate them what you do with the biblical languages. So if it's a present tense verb and it's active, meaning subjects doing the action, and it's present tense, you have two main options to classify, classify the verb in question. Here's your two major options. It's either a progressive present or it's an iterative present. You're thinking, what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm kind of wondering myself. No, not really. Okay. <laughs> Progressive present means he continually does this. There's no interruption. Well, would that logically apply to prayer life? Uh, probably not because he's busy. Iterative prayer means on a spectrum of one to 30 days in a month, if God looks down from heaven and, and, and plots his prayer life, oh, he prayed for them on that day, Tuesday. He prayed for them on Friday. Oh, he prayed for them on Sunday. Oh, and the next week on a Monday and then on a Wednesday. It was iterative. He says, when I, when, that's how I classify the verb. It's iterative because he couldn't have done it progressively. He says, when I think about you, what do I, what's the first thing I do in my powerful, powerful prayer life? I, I give thanks. Now, um, you love Greek, do you not? Okay. All right. You don't, you don't. Okay. We got to talk about it. Okay. The word thank here, I'm going to give you the word and you realize how easy it is to learn Greek. When he says, I think the Greek word is Eucharisteo. Why are you saying? Oh, what, yeah, yeah, what, what is that? Eucharisteo sounds like what? Eucharist. You're right. Absolutely. You know a great word. Eucharist. That means I 
Well, it means like the Holy Eucharist. What are you doing when you're taking Holy Eucharist? What are you doing? You're thanking God for what? For the sacrifice of Jesus in a solemn fashion. You're confessing your sin. You're cleaning your spiritual house. You're partaking of the elements. You're remembering the fact that you are a saint because he died for your sin. All right? That's the Eucharist. Paul says, let me use that word that you all know. I thank God Eucharistao you when I think about you. He constantly does this in his letters if you pay attention. First Corinthians chapter one, verse four. Notice what he says. First Corinthians sounds very similar to Romans. Although he wrote first Corinthians before he wrote Romans. He says, I thank Eucharistao, my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you in, in Christ Jesus. He says that when I think about you and the fact that Jesus loved you, he said, I, I give thanks for you. Eucharisto. He does the same. Now, bear in mind, when you think about the Corinthians, he founded their church. I mean, he was their church planter. If you could pick all the churches that, that, uh, that Paul founded, they gave him the greatest heartache because they constantly attacked him as their pastor. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And that will explain to you exactly how they attacked him. They were constantly attacking him, tearing him down. Well, he's not, he, you know, the Paul, he doesn't have the oratorical abilities of Apollos. Because, we, you know, some of us in our church love Apollos because he's so articulate. His vocabulary is just flawless. And Paul, he's kind of, he's, he starts with the word first and never comes back. You know, and Paul looks at this church that's caused him great grief. And instead of looking at it negatively, when he writes him a letter, he says, you know, even when I think of you. I give thanks to God because you are saints. It's amazing. Uh, Philippians chapter one, verse three. What does he say? I, Eucharisteo, my God, in all my remembrance of you. Paul was busy giving thanks to all the churches that he knew and even churches that he didn't know like the Romans. He'd never been there. So don't tell me you can't give thanks for somebody because he's heard things about them. And when he hears great things about that church, he says, you know, I just stop dead in my tracks wherever I'm at and I give thanks for you as a church. What's pointed prayer all about? Well, it starts with uh, that thankful kind of spirit, not a critical spirit, thankful for what God is doing in other people's lives. That's Paul. And he says, I, I'm, I'm able to approach God's throne and give thanks for you by one person only. And he, he's going to use a preposition or prepositions important. Absolutely. Because he says, I can do this through Jesus Christ through is a preposition. It means means of, I can do this by means of Jesus Christ, which means if he didn't know Jesus Christ by faith, he did not access, have access to the throne of God. I'll, I'll say it again. If he did not have a faith relationship with Christ, he did not have an access to the throne of God. Why? Because he says, I pray and give thanks through, through. There's no other way. It has to come through Christ. I give thanks through him. Romans chapter 5. Notice how he uses the preposition. Uh, it's dia in Greek, through. Chapter 5, verse 21. He says that as sin has reigned in death even since the fall of Adam, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through who? Well, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where do you get righteousness from? Not your works. You get it from Jesus' works. How do you get his works that are righteous? You come to him in faith and repent. Trust him as your savior. He says that, that dia, that through is huge. Uh, Titus chapter three, verse five says, he saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we've done in righteousness. He said, I used to think I was getting to heaven by my deeds. I found out when I ran into the resurrected Lord, that's not how you get into heaven. He says, but, but we, we, we get in, get salvation because of his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he, God poured out upon us richly. Notice the preposition through, through Jesus Christ, our savior. Are there multiple paths to God? No, there cannot be. 
because we've talked about the law of non-contradiction. You can't have two things that are diametrically opposed to be true at the same time in the same sense. It's impossible philosophically and logically. It's, it's impossible theologically. Either Jesus is the Savior or he's not the Savior. If Jesus says he's the way, he's the way. He's not a way. He says, I go to the throne of God through Jesus. He's the only means to get to the Father's presence for prayer. He says, when I gain that awesome access, the first thing I think about is you. You got to think about your prayer life. Number one, do you have an access by faith through Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And if you have that access, when you get the access before God, well, is it, it's been, do you begin speaking about other saints in a positive fashion or praying for them? Oh, Lord, they just need to get their act together. I don't. I've reached a really great mature place. There's other sins you might need to be praying about. Paul says, when I think about you, I give thanks. And he says, I give thanks for one thing in a major way. Notice what he says. There's a causal clause here. He says, because of your faith. He says, your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. You know what hyperbole is, right? Because we all use it. It's raining cats and dogs. Is it really raining cats and dogs? It's just hyperbolic. I mean, if I looked at that portion and said, that is the fastest car in all of the world. Is it? Well, it was for that moment on Berkeley Road, but, but it's not. It's just hyperbolic. It's just overstating the fact to emphasize something. So when he says, I've heard about the faith of the Roman church through the whole world. Really? Latin America? Well, there's an exception. We don't know about them yet. Okay. So it's hyperbolic. But he says, wherever I travel in my missionary journeys, people keep coming up to me telling me, hey, have you heard about the church in Rome? Man, they are on fire for God. Have you heard about them? No, but I'd love to go there. Wherever he goes. What, what is he hearing? What does he say he hears? Because of your faith. Now, take the word your uh, and just cut it out in your mind and move it on the other side of faith because that's where it is in Greek. It's on the other side of faith. Aren't foreign languages just messed up? You know what I'm saying? So just move your, the personal pronoun on the other side of faith. And on the word faith, if you move that your over there, there's, there's, it's indefinite then. It's a faith, right? But in the Greek text, it's not a faith. There's an article there, the. So really in Greek it says, because the faith of you. Why is there an article there? Now you can't translate it that way because it's really awkward in English. So they drop it out when they translate it to smooth out the sentence. But it loses, in my estimation, the total impact of what he's really saying. What's he really saying? He's saying, when I hear about the faith that you guys have, it just rocks my world. It's awesome. The faith, not a faith. Remember, how many paths are there into God's presence? Multiple? No. One. One. And he says, what I hear about from people all throughout the world is that you guys have wrapped your hearts and minds around not a faith, not a faith of many of the faiths. You have wrapped your mind and heart around the faith. Now, the article, you can classify it different ways. Uh, you have two major options here in my estimation. Uh, par excellence use of the article. There's nothing like the faith of Christ. Or the monadic use of the article. Like there's only the sun, the moon, etc. There's only one. Which means there's not multiple ones. He says, I hear about the faith that you have all around the world. You know the greatest thing that can be said about our church? Oh, they, they have an awesome parking lot. Huh? No, man, their youth program rocks it out. Is it important to have a great youth program? Sure. You know, but the greatest thing that could be ever said by anybody wherever you travel is that, wow, what is going on there? I hear about the faith. What, what do you mean? Well, that's a church that believes in the word of God and the risen savior. That's what, you know, how many people do we lose a year? A lot. Where do they go? The military and the government move them. 
I haven't quite figured that out. 20% of you leave every year. The first year I was here, it freaked me out. We're leaving, we're leaving, we're leaving, we're leaving. The whole church. And then God brought more people back. Oh, this is fantastic. Uh, and they go all around the world. And I, and I get, I mean, I had somebody invite me. It was a diplomat, invite me to an island. He's, he's on now as a diplomat. You know, why didn't you and your wife come down here and, and stay at the embassy? And, uh, I mean, they, and, and they're all over the place. Uh, and what happens with our, with our prisoners being all over the place? They take whatever they have learned here about church and walking with God and, and the love of God and the word, and they take it wherever they are, Poland, wherever they are. They, they take it there, uh, and they begin to impact the world about them. And then when we get new people here, I constantly walk up to them when they're new and say, how'd you find out about the church? Well, uh, I was in a unit in Iraq, and the guy told me, I'm like, you huh? You found, huh? You know, or I was at this embassy and blah, blah, blah. But they told me this is the church to come. Many people will say, we came here because we were told to come here. And we came here and they were absolutely right. This is where we needed to be. We've never even looked around. This is awesome. But you know what? We're not the only church in the area that is has got the faith down, right? Uh, Darren was here today. Did you notice? I mean, yeah. And one of the things that he did is he traveled around and he, and he checked out area churches to see what's going on there. Uh, how they do worship and what their preaching's like, blah, blah, blah. He came back and filled me in when he got back after five weeks of sabbatical and, and just told me the great things are going on in the churches around us. Awesome. Because we're not in competition. You know what I'm saying? We're in this together. And we all want to be ultimately known about being people of the faith. His prayer life was, was geared to talking about that. Next, his prayer life was perpetual. Verses 9 and 10. Boy, is it. Notice what he's... He, he, He's going to say, for God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how I unceasingly make mission of you. He said, I pray about you all the time. Now, if anybody knew Jesus's words in Luke 19, it would have been Paul. Here's Christ's words in Luke 19, which I'm sure you could probably say without even looking at the screen. What did Jesus say when you pray? Pretty simple. He says, when I, I say to you, ask and I will not give it to you. Is that what he said? Ask and Okay, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and sometimes you'll bump into what, you know, no. Seek, and you shall find, eventually. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. You'll find my will. Just knock. You'll knock. Now, what's interesting, those are all present tense verbs, meaning it's probably not progressive. It's probably iterative. Yeah, Lord, I, I've asked about that one time. Uh, yeah, I've asked about that two times. And I'm, I'm asking, I'm seeking your will, and I'm looking for you to give me your will. He says, you know, Paul says, I understand that. Because whenever I think about you, I pray for you. That's what he says in verse 9. The God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. If God were to materialize, he could verify the fact that I'm not just blowing smoke when I say, I pray for you a lot. Could you imagine having Jesus stand next to you to say, oh, that's absolutely true. I mean, have you ever told somebody, yeah, oh, I'm praying for you. And you all walk away thinking to yourself, eh, I really haven't. You ever done that? You know, I mean, or I mean, I haven't done it as I should have. See, Paul's saying, when I tell you that I'm praying for you, God could stand here and say, he absolutely does. Now, you have to stop and ask yourself, why is he saying that? I mean, why does he feel like he's got to say, I need God as my witness? Well, probably how he's wired. So let's think about a scale, because we're a scalable church. We love scales, right? We love the matrix, grids, spreadsheets. Let's think of a, let's think of a spectrum. Like, let's say, you know, like zero to ten. Let's say one over here is a pastoral traits. And there's different kinds of pastors, are there not? Yeah, there are. The warm, fuzzy, emotional type over here. Cries a lot. I'm over here. <laughs> 
Hey, you're mocking me. Okay, the, the loving, kind of oozing, kind of emotional guy's over here. Okay, he's, he's like the one. And then the 10 over here is like the highly intellectual, don't know what he was talking about. You eventually got connected the dots. It took you a couple Sundays, blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's Paul. Paul's over here. He's not over here. And so what happens with the intellectual teacher type? Well, people will look at the intellectual teacher type and say stuff like, well, I love the teaching and everything, but he just doesn't seem loving. That's what happens. That's what happened to Paul. He came across that way. I mean, remember I told you about 2 Corinthians 10? I mean, think about what his own church said to him. Let me listen to this. He says to them, you Corinthians are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to, uh, to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. Because they're saying, you know, Paul doesn't belong to Jesus like we do. We're special. He's their pastor. Uh, verse 8. So even I, if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord has given me for building you up after, uh, the, rather than tearing you down, I'll not be ashamed of it. Uh, I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you in my letters for some say, quote, it's quoting the church, uh, Paul's letters seem weighty and forceful, but in person, he's unimpressive. <laughs> well, that's encouraging. He's writing to his own church. What were they passing around the Christian community at that day and time? Well, you know, I mean, if Paul wants to write a letter to you, man, he can take you to task. But when he shows up, he's a little short guy, eyebrows growing together, etc. You know, I mean, he rambles on. He starts with the first. He never gets to the second. You know, he takes these big old long sentences. It's hard to understand what he's talking about. They're, they're telling, he just doesn't seem loving. What does Paul say? I call God as my witness. I love you. I love you. You know, if you were to, you were to ask Jesus, does, does Paul really love those Christians? Absolutely he does. So just because a, a pastor is a teacher type doesn't mean he doesn't love his people. See what I mean? And I can understand this because I'm more on this tin kind of spectrum. And I look at some of my friends that are on the one kind of spectrum. And other things can be said about them. They're shepherds gifted differently. Doesn't mean they don't love. They don't love. So I'll just tell you right now. I love you. And I'm not kidding. I do. I do, I do love you. Do I pray for you? Once a year. <laughs> Smarty humor. Do I pray for you? Absolutely, I do. But you know what my conviction is after studying my own sermon? I don't pray enough. I don't. Because you can always pray more. And when I can, I can totally tell you. I can rationalize it. God, there's 3,000 people. I mean, that could be a full-time job praying for all of them. Well, there you go. <laughs> he says, I, I pray. And I, and I pray unceasingly. And God's my witness. Even as a thinker type, he knows that I love you and I pray about you. That's what he says. And he says, I do it unceasingly, always, and I make requests perpetually. And the word for making requests in Romans 1, uh, 10 is the word uh, in Greek, deomai, which means, mm, I don't just make requests. It's the word for begging. Do you have children? Do you have children over here? Or you are children? I mean, have children? Do they beg? Yes. Absolutely they do. It drives you insane sometimes, doesn't it? Begging means, do they ask how many times? More than More than once. Deca, 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 can I have the car? Son, you destroyed it last weekend. No, but I know the family has another one. I won't do it to the second one. Nope, you're not touching the second car ever in your lifetime. You know, uh, et cetera. They're begging, you know, begging. Dad, rent me a car. Are you kidding me? Get a job. I mean, they're constantly begging. But Paul says, when I pray God's perspective on my prayer life, it must seem like debt oh my. It's like I'm begging. What was he begging for? That he could come see them. Man, God, you know, I'd really love to go to Rome. 
I mean, I've been all over Asia Minor. I've been everywhere. I've been to Greece. I've been every. I've been on three missionary journeys. But I'd really like to go home. Can I go to Rome? Why do you keep closing the door to Rome? I'd really like to go to Rome, God. Could you imagine if you're God on His throne, you see Paul coming again in prayer? What's, what's the Lord probably say to the angel standing around him? Uh, shalom. Wait just a minute. Here he comes again. I can, hey, I can tell you what he's going to ask me. <laughs> he's going to say, can I go to Rome? And there he comes. He asks the same thing. Oh, I'd love to go to Rome. It, that, that's what Paul says. It's, it's kind of like I'm begging. I, I, I really want to come. I mean, when you think about praying for somebody, are you begging before God for something to be conformed in them on a perpetual basis? God, I would so love for my husband to come to know Christ. That my prayer looks like I'm begging you. Lord, I would so love for my mother, my brother, my sister. I would so love to know your will of, should I marry this guy I met on eHarmony? I'm just saying. Should I not? I mean, are my emotions getting in the way? Am I listening to my friends? God, show me. Does it seem like begging? God says powerful prayer starts with that kind of prayer. Giving thanks and being very pointed like that. A prayer is also purposeful, and we'll close with this. He lists five things you should be doing. He has five things he tells God. That he prays about. Five things. Which means when you pray powerfully, it's specific. Well, my prayers are just broad in general. Well, if you want to see great things happen, you got to be specific. What does he pray for? Verse 10. Always in my prayers making requests. If, notice the conditionality. Doesn't know if it's God's will. If perhaps now at last by the will of God, I might succeed in coming to you. I've been trying for years to come to Rome. If I can get to Rome, teach the gospel, and get people, more people saved, it will spread throughout the empire. What could be better? But God has not opened the door. Has God ever closed the door on you and you cannot open it? It's happened to me many times. I mean, when I was at my last church for 19 years and felt like God wanted me to move, and Liz and I knew he wanted us to move, and I set out to try to find what God wanted us to do, I kept asking God, okay, I understand, you want me to move? I, I sent out resume after resume, I have packets from churches, packets. I'm talking 30, 40 pages of packet, packet after packet, church after church, packets and packets of churches that talk to me. And I'd answer all their questions and I would interview with them. And then they would say something like, they send me an email and they would say, uh, we don't like your view on creationism. See ya. We don't like your view on X. And then that was, you know, boom, door, bam, 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 bam. That, that went on for years. Think I quit praying? No. I just didn't realize it wasn't going to be here. <laughs> this, this is like Rome. I mean, God's like, I'm thinking Las Cruces or something, you know? God's like, I know, it's further. You know, so God, have a purposeful plan and don't limit God. He's like, man, Lord, I want to specifically go there, God. And, and he gets there. You know what's the amazing thing? God finally rewards him as God rewarded me. When I finally applied here and they sent me the informational packet to answer all the questions and i answered them and got connect this i understood that all that i had been through all of the difficulty i'd been through when i applied here everything connected and i knew it was the will of god beyond doubt nine years ago almost to the day but but this became my room i totally understand paul if perhaps god that's your will and then I'll follow you wherever you lead me. And that's exactly what happened to him. God, God led him. And so he said, I'd, I'd love to come, but it has to be the will of God. Number two, he said, I want to come and show up and uh, impart a spiritual gift. Now, I'll, I'll give you the, the Greek word for gift, and you're going to know a second Greek word. Charisma. Charismatic. Charismata. Pneumaticon, like pneumatics. Pneuma, spirit. Spiritual gift. Oh, he wants to come give them the gift of prophecy. Uh-uh. 
He wants to come give them the gift of tongues. Nope, it's not what he said. What's he mean? Uh, just because it, you read the word charisma doesn't mean that it means that. You have to think about the context. He's talking about the gospel here in this chapter. And when you see how he uses the word charisma in the rest of the book, like in uh, Romans 5, 15 and 16, Romans 6, 23, how he uses charisma in the rest of the book, it's about the gospel, which means he's not coming there to impart a gift. The gift is given by God Almighty to his saints, gifts. Paul's not imparting those. He's, he's talking about the gift of the gospel. He's saying, I want to take the spiritual gift of the gospel and help you to understand it in a totally deeper level so that you can ward off the, the, the actions of the devil and cut deep into his kingdom. I can help you to that end. When you read his book, he talks a lot about, well, sanctification, holiness, etc. He takes their thinking to a whole new level. That's the charisma he's talking about. He says, I want to come impart that to you. Three, he wants to be encouraged. Verse 12, he says, that is, I would also like to be encouraged together with you while I'm among you, each of you by the other's faith, both yours and mine. He says, when I show up, it's a symbiotic thing. You will encourage me. I will encourage you. Awesome. Do you want to go to church to get depressed? Why are you here? Well, I don't know about you, but I want to come get equipped and ready for the next week to do great, great things for God. But I want to be encouraged when I come to church. And that's what Paul says. I want to come to your church so you can encourage me. I can encourage you. You encourage me. You send me emails. You send me letters. You call me. You, I don't, a lot of times I don't even know who the name is on the card. There's so many. I don't know. I don't know everybody. And so I, I keep a lot of those letters. Because there's times when times are tougher. And I look back to think, yeah, but, but this is what we're about. Because God always, uh, the devil always sends the discouragers. But there's always the encouragers. And, and Paul says, I've had my share of dis- discouragement, but, but I want to be there. I've heard about your church. I know we'll build each other up. And then we can do great things for God. Are you an encourager? Do you pray for encouragement? Next thing he says, I want to secure some spiritual fruit. Verse 13, I don't want to be unaware, brethren, that I've often planned to come to you. And I've been prevented thus far in order that I might obtain some fruit among you. Even as the rest of the Gentiles, what kind of fruit is he like bananas, peaches, what kind of dried figs? I mean, what does he want? He wants spiritual fruit. That's what he wants. I mean, when I finally came here, I had one thing in mind and I still have one thing in mind till I die. Fruit, fruit, like what kind of fruit? Well, I want to see people leave Satan's kingdom and enter Christ's kingdom. That's fruit. And then when you begin to learn to walk with Jesus and mature in him, and you put aside evil things and embrace holiness and you become a disciple of Christ and mature, that's fruit. That's what I look for. Not numbers, not buildings, people trading kingdoms and growing up in Jesus. He said, that's all I want. And the last thing he says is, fifth thing, I got to pay a debt. What's his debt? He says what my debt is. He said, I am under obligation. That's the word debt in Greek, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. What's a Greek? Does he mean the Greeks? No, because the word was used at that day and time to denote the intelligentsia, the enlightened, the academic, the smart people, the cultured people, the Romans. Who were the barbarians? The word barbarian was originated lexically from the word barbar because that's what the intelligent people called people of other ethnic groups that they didn't like because they were not cultured like them. So they said their language to me sounds like bar, 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 bar. I don't even know what they're talking about. He says, you know, you could be the, the greatest person in the Roman Empire, politically, intellectually, professor, whatever. You could be at the bottom of the heap, a slave, whatever. I'm coming because you need Jesus. Christ died for all of you. 
And he says, whether you are a wise person or a foolish person, whether you're a person that understands, don't ever take the first drug because you'll be sucked in. Or a foolish person who's been sucked in and it is all you live for. He says, I'm coming for all of you because there's room at the cross even for you. What do you pray about? Paul says, well, I, I pray powerfully. He does three things. It's test time. He does three things. What does he do? His prayer is powerful because it is pointed. It is purposeful. And it's perpetual. It's those three things. It's all of those things. That's how you access great power for God. And it's just like that old Porsche, isn't it? There's more power there at the throne of God that you must access and how easy it is, well, to go for it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Paul's example. Uh, he tells us how a, a, a devout, mature saint functions when they're before your throne in prayer. Might we individually and corporately be a church that's great in the faith in a deeper, more profound way than we have been. Grow us, shape us, mold us. And if anyone among us does not yet know Christ, might they become the fruit of this message to eternity in Christ's name. Amen.